worked with Clay a little bit when I was in elementary school. We didn't have much, and so Clay came to us as the guise of uh, the woman. I believe her name was probably Rebecca, and then we, we just called her the Clay Lady. She would just magically appear in our classroom and bring Clay, and we would make things, and um, the next month when she'd come, our projects would suddenly be shiny and complete and one time we had um, the Santa Barbara Museum had like a display case of kids work and clay so I lo- I'm always tempted to put out on my resume that I had my first museum show and then there was this huge gap in my exhibition history. <laughs> Welcome to Hello Atelier. I'm your host Betsy Blodgett and with me is producer Jonathan Getz. Hello. Now before we get started with today's guest, ceramicist Shalene Valenzuela, I wanted to let you know that we are so excited to announce that we have a new Patreon page. Patreon is a crowdfunding site that allows you to donate to any free content creator that you love. And if that happens to be Hello Atelier, so much the better. And a big thank you to Linka Stevens, who was our first patron. Yes, thank you so much, Linka. We will tell you more about Patreon and the rewards we are offering at the end of the episode. But for now, let's get to Shalene. Last spring, we were perusing the shop at a local ceramic gallery. Amidst the mugs and plates, I suddenly stumbled upon a ceramic dress form covered in an all-over painting of 1950s-era women. Each woman was working at different sewing tasks, be it measuring, cutting, or stitching. If you're having trouble visualizing that, just check out the photos at helloatelier.org. Yes. But anyway, I loved it. We felt we lucked out when we heard that the artist, Shalene, would be having her own show the following fall right here in Kansas City. And she would be traveling down for the opening from her home in Montana. So we waited patiently and interviewed Shalene in the offices at the Belger Arts Center, the gallery that hosted her show. Shalene's work has a very Lichtenstein pop art vibe to it. Her clay sculptures of toasters, blenders, and other household items are painted with 1950s and 60s retro imagery. Think Donna Reed and June Cleaver. It is a fascinating take on what she calls the impossible ideals placed on women through advertising. However, where classic pop artists like Andy Warhol painted recreations of objects, Shalene creates them out of clay. It adds an aspect of trompe l'oeil to her work. It's a bit of a surprise when you get close to the pieces and realize that that isn't a real vacuum or hammer. Well, anyway, I think it's time we let Shalene tell us all about it. I started at Berkeley as um, my intent was to be a double major in math and art practice and um, with a focus on drawing painting and like any person starting out in university start like looking different things and I tried architecture for a little bit and then eventually ended up getting a degree in art practice and a minor in geography and discovered clay because I was taking different classes and finally worked with Richard Shaw, who was my undergraduate professor at Berkeley. And he's really focused in sculptural approaches and does a lot of drawing himself. The way that he works kind of opened up me to possibilities that I didn't know existed in ceramics. That was very exciting for me. And from then, I mean, I guess when people ask, like, when did you get hooked? It was kind of that point. When I was in graduate school, I um, did a series of plates 
it goes back to the idea of you're working with something that's traditionally pottery. I took um, various images out of instructional guides that were instructions on how women like like plucking hair, or applying lipstick, or removing a wart, how you insert a tampon or something like that. And so it was kind of like I had these plates that when taken out of context, you had these images on there that were a little and un- just kind of unsettling, like, oh, would I want to be eating off of it. I mean, they were very clean, sterilized images, but at the same time, you're like, what are these images? Do I want that on my plate? (laughs) I've got the busiest job in the whole world, American housewife. That means being on the go all day long. And it means looking my best at dinner time, too. That's why I always use Stop It Spray Deodorant. There grows perspiration. 1950s advertisements show scores of women selling everything from vacuum cleaners to lipstick. They smile out from the pages, all shiny hair and red lips, overjoyed that they have a new oven, girdle, or even a simple can of corn niblets. The women don't have a personality or backstory. They are simply mom, wife, girlfriend. Shaleen takes inspiration from these empty images, turning them into characters for her own work. Obviously, the imagery I use isn't from a time where I was even alive, but it was just something that I looked at constantly when I was growing up. I used to look at a lot of old photographs and memorabilia. My mother just had a lot, kept a lot of things around, like old yearbooks and family photos and whatnot. So it's just kind of creating these stories about people in my family. It brought up this nostalgic time for me um, in that sense of relating to the past and what I was looking at. There's always this attachment to nostalgia, painting this rosy picture or something that wasn't completely rosy. And I do have quite a collection of old magazines. Uh, a lot of the images in the ads and these people pictured in them, I mean, they're sort of like my models. I'll just take composites of different things. I want like somebody glancing a certain way, a hairstyle from someone else, a pattern on a skirt of something. So I use a lot of those in order to create the different characters that in a way almost look like the same person over and over again. Wait, don't break that egg. There's a better way to make your hair shine. It's Richard Hudnut Enriched Cream Shampoo. Enriched Cream Shampoo leaves hair wonderfully clean and manageable. And see the wonderful sheen in our hair. Today we look at vintage advertisements and laugh. Many of them seem totally ridiculous and condescending. However, while one hopes that in today's world, no company would ever consider releasing an ad depicting a husband spanking his wife for not serving him fresh coffee, the constant bombardment of beauty ads seems eerily the same. Trends may have changed, but in the marketing world, women are still expected to have that shiny hair and perfect complexion. It's 2017, and some of these things, I'm like, God, didn't this stuff go away so long ago? But it hasn't. I grew up understanding gender roles in a certain way, like when you're young, and then you're like, oh, I'm going to be this, and I'm going to be that, and then when you grow older, you're like, what? (laughs) I did not feel that pressure so much from my family. 
I'm a first-generation university student, and when I went to college, it was a huge deal in my family. And so I kind of broke some certain norms in that sense. I didn't feel any pressure, but it, it was interesting to me, like, coming from a family where a lot of my mom's family, a lot of women, like, get married young and have kids young and play into that role. Any vintage collector knows the thrill of shopping thrift stores and antique malls. Nothing can beat that rush of discovery when you find a treasure. For Shalene, finding such an object doesn't just mean adding to her collection, it means embarking on new work. Yesterday I went to the West Bottoms, the sort of antique area, and then you coming through all that stuff and discovering these objects. There was like a b- balloon molds. I didn't even know these things exist. I guess it makes sense. Then you have to, the rubber has to be formed around something. Yeah, it was like these things hanging on the wall that looked like these strange little bulbs. And it was like, they're balloon molds. Coming through that stuff here, like make these neat discoveries of objects that you didn't consider existing. It's like these objects of utility that are kind of these everyday common things. And how can I create a dialogue with those? But it is frustrating when you have an idea of something you really, really, really want to make. And then you're like, okay, I just have to find the right object. You just go on the hunt for that. And sometimes the things you want the most don't come to you so easily. (laughs) I mean, it's kind of the chicken and the egg thing. Sometimes the imagery comes first or the concept comes first. And it's like, okay, what object works best with us to how to relate that? There's never really one or that dictates the other. It's like I knew I wanted to do a sewing machine for a really long time, but had to find the ideal one to make a mold out of that was like, okay, this is something in the back of my head, but I don't have that object yet. And so there was kind of a lot of hunting around for that. But other times I just see an object and I'm like, oh, well, I want to do something with this. And then I'll make a mold of an object and it sits around for a while because I'm not sure exactly what I want to do with it. Just the right ideas hasn't been brewing for that object like a long time ago i made a mold of a milk carton and it just sort of sat around for a while because i'm like i don't know what to do with the. i mean it brings up nostalgia and relationships to something but everything i thought of felt very forced with it or just didn't feel right and it's like okay this is bizarre i can't do anything with this and it's like pieces went in the garbage and or just never got finished. And and then I finally found something to do with it that made sense. And so, but it took like, it took a couple of years for it to knock around. When something's forced, you can tell it's not enjoyable making it. You're like, oh God, I can't wait for this to get over. And then you complete it and then you don't even want to look at it. So it's like, okay, if I'm having that problem, maybe this shouldn't be out in the universe. I mean, there's so much stuff in our world already. It's like, oh God, do I have to put more garbage out there? (laughs) I don't want to do that. Being a ceramicist means that you have to consider all sides of an object. While that may mean more work, it also offers a more interesting canvas to work with, allowing an artist the opportunity to surprise the viewer as they make their way around the piece. For instance, I love how on the dress form, with which I was so enamored, both the arms of the women, as well as a measuring tape, wrap around the bust and lead the eye to the back, where you see another cast of figures in different stages of sewing. 
One woman stares ahead defiantly as she measures her bust, and two other hand sewists look somewhat disgusted as they cut and stitch. I do like working in the round a lot because there's more conversations that can happen. You kind of approach the object and being able to direct the viewer's gaze around and create a narrative that continues around a piece is something that I do enjoy directing viewer to do. I did work on a show once that the space I was showing in had not much floor space, but it had a lot of wall space. So as a person who works in 3D, I'm like, oh, this is interesting. And so I worked on this series of pieces that incorporated dress patterns. So they're kind of like these things overlapping and flowing on the wall. It gave me a chance to work on a very focused body of work. In order to create molds for slip casting, they're made from plaster. Moisture has to be absorbed out of the slip. And then so it creates kind of a shell on the inside. I like to explain it as like those uh, hollow chocolate Easter bunnies where it's like you break it open, it's just sort of this shell. And it's sort of the same concept pretty much. You um, make a multiple part mold. And this is what's tricky about objects. You have to consider things like undercuts where things will get trapped in the plaster if you kind of have a lip on something. Like I've done a corset before and having to figure out like, okay, the soft fabric-y thing, having to build a form to put it around so that it's rigid and then filling in all the lace details and having to carve them all out later. Yeah, the stand-up vacuum cleaner with the one with the bag, I had to stuff this vacuum bag full of rigid material and foam and whatnot and then seal it off. And then so pretty much like every object I make a mold out of gets completely ruined and toasters get gutted and phones get ripped apart. And then I also have a huge attachments to just collecting objects anyhow. So I, I wanna, I have to be able to be willing to let these objects go and know that they're going to be sort of destroyed in the sea of plaster that I'm pouring on them. <laughs> I don't know what it is about Montana, but it seems to be a magnet for ceramicists. Alana Duraki, who was our guest on episode 12, spent years working there. Whether it is the sky or the space, that unlikely state has established a reputation as a haven for those who work with clay. When I moved to Montana, that was the time where I was able to, like, kind of focus on uh, my work a little bit more. It sounds really odd. I had to leave this large urban area to take the leap into developing my career more, (laughs) which seems counterintuitive, but it's really how it happened for me, where I was like, okay, I was in the Bay Area for a long time and had my community there and knew a lot of people, but really getting my work out there further didn't really happen so much until I left that. I am the executive director of the Clay Studio Missoula, so I you know, have a job where I sit in front of a computer and play many roles because we're a small nonprofit, which means I wear many hats. And uh, we have classes, um, and a lot of people in the community rent space, so we have a lot of studio artists working. And then we have an artist residency program, which is what I was there um, when I first came to Missoula 10 years ago. Essentially, I have two full-time jobs. People are like, what do you do on your weekends? And it's like, well, I go to the studio and work. I mean, that's my time to get that done. And Montana is 
a very active place for clay. I mean, there's so much going on there. A lot of people are like, I have this state with just one million people. And there's so many artists here working in clay. There's three different residency programs there. So a lot of times, I mean, sort of like what I did. It's like you get there and then you end up staying. <laughs> Even though we're all spread out all over the state, we're, we see each other as like the clay community in the state of Montana. Shalene's show at the Belger Arts Center, which runs through December 16, 2017, is full of large and small pieces. Everything from potholders to telephones, toasters to dress forms. For the viewer, a good show has a rhythm to the collection, each piece communing with the one before. The hope is that the viewer is as excited about the last piece as the first. Creating a gallery full of work that engages the viewer throughout seems like an art in itself. To experience Shalene's show, head over to our website to see images from the gallery. There's some things I'll work with pairings in a series. So, for example, I have the various potholders that go on. So those I see those as like smaller pieces that they can work well on their own. But as a group, there's something else that happens. It really depends on like the size of the show that I work with. You know, I don't have a like standard that I do. <laughs> like, okay, this is all these types of objects. I mean, they all sort of interconnect in a way. And I do pair different things together. Like there's thematically something going on in a particular object and I try to pair it with an object, different object that's kind of dealing with the similar imagery. Do you ever get creative blocks? Oh yeah, for sure. I feel the most that happens is when you have a big push for a deadline and then it gets done and you're like, ah, that big sigh of relief and it's like, I'm going to take a break. And then you go back a couple weeks later or two days later, <laughs> whatever break you permitted yourself to take. And then you're like, ah. I always get that fear. I'm out. I'm out of ideas. I did them all. It's all done. I'm over. It's washed up. And I have that fear constantly. I have to like sort of pinch myself and remind myself like, okay, I'm going to get through that. It's never a permanent thing. But that, I mean, you constantly do that. But there's nothing like a deadline to sort of wake you up out of that. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of Hello Atelier. While we still have you here, we want to take a minute to tell you more about Patreon. If you become a Hello Atelier patron, you could have access to exclusive audio extras, a shout out of thanks on the podcast, a unique embroidery design, or for you big spenders, a monthly live stream where I'll be crafting and taking questions. Check it all out at patreon.com slash helloatelier. If you love the show but can't support us monetarily, that's okay too. We are so grateful that you are listening. But don't forget, you can always help us out for free by leaving a review on iTunes. Hello Atelier is a production of the Phonicalia Media Network. An easy way to help support this program is to subscribe for free on iTunes or Google Play. Also, don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram to see extras from the podcast and where you can live a little Hello Atelier every day.